This is ARRL's Eclectic Tech, a bi-weekly look at the technical and scientific side of amateur radio with your host, Steve Ford, WB8IMY. I'm on the telephone with Jordan Shear, KN4CRD, and Jordan is the creator of JS8 Call. And Jordan, could you describe for a lot of people who I imagine have no idea what this digital mode is, exactly what JSA or JS8 Call, I should say, is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So JSA Call is a, an experiment of mine combining the robustness of the FD8 mode developed by K1JT, um, the WSJTX group, with kind of like a messaging uh, and network layer on top of it. It'd be similar to like a a PSK31 or an FSQ, uh, another digital mode to allow you to send keyboard-to-keyboard text using weak signal uh, modulation. For those folks who are familiar with FT8, and a lot of people are these days, how does JS8 call differ from FT8? Yeah, that's a great question. So JS8 is uh, is based on FT8, and uh, it used that as the foundation, like modulation and decoding of the signals. What's different about JS8 is that it allows you to send free text, like any kind of message, um, and it sends that in back-to-back transmissions, similar to like a 15-second cycle of FT8. However, uh, you could send uh, an enormous amount of text, a few sentences even, over a period of you know, a couple of minutes. JSA also has uh, a couple of different speeds. So it can transmit uh, uh, over a 30-second window, a 15-second window, uh, a 10- or 6-second window, and it uses a, a, a larger or smaller amount of bandwidth for that. Oh, okay. I wasn't aware that it had different speeds. Is that a new development, or was that there originally? Uh, that is new uh, in the 2.0 release that launched earlier, uh, I guess it was late last year. Uh, we introduced the the speeds, which uh, allows you to choose which which sensitivity you need for uh, for your digital transmission. So the larger the larger bandwidth, faster speed, has less sensitivity. But if you have a a really great band opening, um, you could switch to that. JSA also has a, a multi decoder, so it can decode all the speeds at once. And operationally, now you mentioned, of course, and I know it would depend on the speed, but transmitting in the 13-second windows, for example, and so on. Is it similar to FT8 and how you would use it? I'm thinking of somebody who perhaps is brand new to JS8 Call. Yeah, so it, the software is pretty recognizable. Uh, you still have your waterfall, and you can see the signals in the passband. What you would do is you type your message, and the software breaks that up into the individual transmission for you. So as you're typing your message, actually, uh, it'll tell you how long it'll take to send. So if you sent a, a, you know, just a few words, it's uh, only uh, one or two uh, transmissions uh, of the 15 seconds. But if you had like a much longer sentence, it would take uh, one to two minutes, depending on, depending on the message length. One nice thing about JS8 is it actually has a, some built-in compression. So what you would normally see in like FTA, uh, you have 13 characters if you're sending free text via FTA. You could actually send a few words um, or even uh, up to uh, four or five words per frame for individual transmission. So you actually get a nice little speed boost with that as well. I can imagine. And the big advantage, I think, to a lot of people is is fairly obvious is the fact that you could have a real conversation with somebody 
and yet still have much of the advantage in terms of sensitivity that you would uh, with FT8. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. FT8 is a great mode for contacting a lot of stations very quickly and doing a minimal QSO, right? Like exchanging your signal report and your grid um, and saying thank you and, and goodbye. If you'd like to actually send a message to a station or actually like to have a conversation, JSA is actually really useful for that. Sending uh, a few sentences back and forth, even if it takes a little while to send, allows you to have that communication aspect of amateur radio. And that's one of the things I said when I was setting up to uh, design the experiment was I was looking for something that allowed you to have weak signal communication, right? The communication being the key there. Yes. Um, so there are a lot of features and things that are built on top of FTA, FTA and JSA, but uh, on, on JSA itself. But the communication is kind of at its foundation. One of the features that uh, I enjoyed playing around with initially, and I'll get this wrong, Jordan, please correct me. I sure. call it pinging. Uh, in other words, being able to send a transmission and then all the stations that hear me respond to me and give me yep. a signal report. What's that called? Yeah, so that's called heartbeat. Heartbeat. Um, so okay. what that is, it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a beacon transmission. You can call it a ping. Um, really, you're saying, "Hi, my station is on the air," and any station who's configured to accept a heartbeat and respond will respond, and they'll respond with saying, "Hey, I acknowledge that your station's on the air. I see you at like negative 18 dB," and that's really useful for getting a sense of uh, who can hear you um, and who you can hear. So there might be more stations that respond, but you can't hear them, or many stations can't hear you and didn't respond. Really, it gives you a kind of like a real-time feel of who you'd actually be able to communicate with. Do you think JSA Call has applications for public service? I do think so. I, there are a number of uh, experiments uh, across the United States uh, using JSA in, uh, in ARIES, uh, in some military exercises, some ENVIS uh, challenges. It's actually a really useful tool. Uh, it wasn't designed for that. It really, the experiment was designed just to uh, open up communication. But if uh, if it works for a specific scenario, I think that'd be great. Where are most of the JS8 call operators hanging out? Is there any uh, one frequency or group of frequencies? Yeah, so built into the software, it has uh, frequencies for each band, um, kind of like the uh, watering hole for uh, for that band. Most of the users today are hanging out on 40 meters and 20 meters, um, most of them on 40 meters uh, throughout the day, mostly because this position in our solar cycle, uh, uh, the propagation on 40 meters is usually pretty good. But uh, do have some folks experimenting even down to 600 meters. And, uh, some people doing some really cool two-meter weak signal, single sideband stuff in Utah and, and Nevada, uh, which is really cool. Where would I find them on 40 meters, for example? Uh, yeah, 40 meters would be um, just above the FTA band. So it'd be uh, 7078, uh, right there, uh, just like uh, four kilohertz above uh, FTA. And on 20 meters? Uh, that'd be 14078. Most of those are ending in uh, a similar pattern, 078 or something similar to that. Okay. And if somebody really wants to do this, and I would encourage everyone to try it, it's it's pretty cool. Where would they find it? Where do they find the software? Yeah, so we have a website, it's js8call.com. That will give you some general information and link to the downloads. Um, it is open source free software. It's based on the uh, WSJTX software. Um, it's open source and will always remain open source and free. And I would imagine there's probably some documentation there as well. Yes, there are uh, links out to documentation and links to downloads. Uh, we also have a very active uh, user group 
online news uh, news group um, or a re uh, reflector, you call it. I think we have over 11,000 people signed up there, and there's usually some pretty active conversation. Oh, wow. And, you know, something I should have asked previously and I forgot, is this uh, software principally for Windows, or is it available for Linux, Mac? Uh, yep, so it's, it's, uh, it's cross-platform, so Windows, Linux, Mac, and uh, we have builds for Raspberry Pi. Oh, great. Excellent, Jordan. Well, thank you very much. This is helpful. Absolutely. My pleasure. I hope to, to see you all on the air or JSA call. Uh, it's uh, a lot of fun. Do you recognize that sound? I'm willing to bet some of you do, especially those who take the time to tune around, oh, say, 14.230 megahertz. Yeah. You know that's the sound of slow-scan television, otherwise known as SSTV. Now, Eclectic Tech isn't necessarily a podcast that focuses constantly on the latest science and technology. Sometimes it's fun to look back and see where we were and how we have come to where we are, especially when it comes to technology that is still very much with us, at least in amateur radio. Now, slow-scan television actually got its start way, way back in the early 1960s, or actually uh, some of it in the late 1950s. When I was a novice, let me pull up my rocking chair here, Shani, and back in the old days, no, when I was a novice, now we're talking uh, the early 1970s here, I recall going to the Dayton Amateur Radio Association Club Station, otherwise known as W8BI, and looking at what appeared to me to be an oscilloscope that was attached to one of the transceivers in the station. And the guy operating it was talking to a fellow in Great Britain. That was impressive enough to me. But anyway, suddenly the British fellow said, I'm going to transmit the image now. There was silence. And then that sound, the same sound you just heard. And as I looked at the oscilloscope, it began painting lines from the top, the very top of the scope, and then slowly making its way toward the bottom. And I could see what appeared to be a British flag. Now, this wasn't in color. This was in kind of an amberish yellow color. And as the scan reached the bottom of the screen, the top was fading out. And then it would scan again from the top over and over and over. And the guy at the station said, this is slow scan television. I thought, this is very cool. An image all the way across the Atlantic from Great Britain that I could see with my own eyes in real time. Now, of course, they made improvements. And not too many years later, I went to the Dayton Hamvention and uh, saw the equipment being sold by Robot Research. And I'm sure some of you remember that, too. This was expensive stuff for slow-scan television. In fact, on eBay just a couple of weeks ago, I happened to come across a Robot Research Model 70 monitor that was still selling for 250 bucks on eBay. But anyway, that was the state of the art at the time. Then, of course, into the 80s, computers came along, and you know the rest of the story, as the late Paul Harvey used to say. Today, well, it's all software. You use your sound card, and you can use free software and decode and transmit 
slow-scan television. If you do a Google search, look for MMSSTV. That's a free program for Windows. And if you're already set up to do things like FT8, where you have the sound from your radio going to your computer or to an interface, MMSSTV will decode slow-scan images for you. And by the way, it's worth pointing out that there is also what is called digital slow scan, which amounts to sending more or less JPEG images over HF frequencies. But strangely enough, it is not as popular as good old analog slow scan television. If you park your radio on 14230, especially on the weekends, you won't usually have to wait very long before you suddenly hear a signal and that's somebody sending an image. So if you have some free software like MMSSTV, or there are now apps for your smartphone, you can hold your smartphone up to the radio, you can actually view these signals. I'm speaking with Bob Allison, WB1GCM, the ARRL Assistant Laboratory Manager. And Bob, I have a question for you. What is an ARC fault circuit breaker, and how do they work? An arc fault circuit breaker is a device that detects faulty wiring, such as an arc or unusual currents uh, that is going passing through the breaker. And it's there for a safety purpose. In other words, if you have an arcing device in your house, a bad lamp cord, a power line of any kind, if it's making a spark, the arc detection circuit breaker will pick up on that spark and trip the breaker off, killing the power. And how does it really detect that? Well, it actually monitors the shape of the current waveform, and it uh, it looks for any kind of noise riding on the AC waveform, any other disturbances, fluctuations of uh, unusual fluctuations of current, uh, and it, but it just looks for kind of a ragged edge of uh, of noise on on the AC waveform. So if it's looking for noise on the AC waveform, uh, that sounds like bad news if you've got a ham radio station in the house because, in theory, it should be able to contribute its own noise to the AC waveform, correct? Oh, uh, Absolutely, but it's a very rare occurrence that the arc fault circuit breakers trip off due to amateur radio. There is just really one circuit breaker design and manufacture that was problematic uh, to the problem. It, uh, it was uh, noted uh, about uh, six or seven years ago and that there was a certain breaker made by Eaton that would trip off with a nearby amateur transmitter. So imagine the radio amateur um, sending Morse code or speaking, and then the neighbor's um, circuits or lights would go off um, every time the transmitter would uh, go on. So uh, that's a problem. Uh, shutting off your neighbor's appliances, uh, etc., with an amateur transmitter. How close do the neighbor have to be to be affected by your signal? Well, I don't have any specific data right off the top of uh, my head, but it was a nearby neighbor's, uh, maybe within a couple hundred yards, and in a densely packed uh, homeowners association. That could mean a lot of people, uh, technically. Yeah. And of course, it would depend on how much power you're running. And well, power, uh, et cetera, the type of antenna, how close the antenna is to the circuit breaker and the electrical wiring associated with it. The good news is 
that uh, we did a study on circuit breakers, and we we measured and, and tried many different brands and models, and it was the Eaton circuit breaker, the one particular model that uh, seemed to trip off. So the good news is the ARL contacted the circuit breaker manufacturer, Eaton, and uh, we showed them our test results. They they sent a couple engineers to ARL laboratory, and they observed the breakers tripping off. So they went back to the drawing boards, and they redesigned the circuit breaker, and they actually named it Model HAM. And the good news all about this is if there are any old breakers uh, in place that a radio amateur would interfere with, if, if it's a problem, uh, Eaton can be contacted and they will come out and they will replace the breaker. They will work with the homeowner to replace the uh, suspected breakers that are, again, arc fault circuit breakers, detecting RF. How many of these do you think are out there, of the Eatons or any other variety? Well, the number of complaints have actually uh, slowed quite a bit to just a, a snail's pace. So the issue was a couple of years ago, and it seems to be quieting down a bit. However, that doesn't mean that if you're a, a new ham or you're new to the neighborhood, you move in, you uh, put up your station, and then uh, you shut off your neighbor's uh, electricity. Well, yeah, you have a you have an issue there, but the solution is it's most likely an Eaton product, uh, arc fault circuit breaker, and they can be replaced out. How long have these particular variety of circuit breakers uh, have been used in home construction? Well, it looks like to be about uh, seven years at least. Uh, seven years ago, we were made aware of the problem, and then we started measuring circuit breakers in our laboratory. Mind you, a circuit breaker falls under Part 15, Title 97, uh, 47 of the FCC rules, and that means that the user of that device, that means the user of the circuit breaker, must accept interference from all of the radio services. So this is something that we didn't have to do, but we know the importance of being good neighbors as a radio amateur. And it's always best to be on good terms and try to work with a neighbor if there is a problem due to amateur radio transmissions. Even though it's no fault of the radio amateur, it's always good to work with a neighbor. Yeah, that would be kind of difficult to explain to your neighbor this is your fault. Yes, I'm tripping <laughs> off the breaker with my transmissions, but this is your fault and you have to deal with it. Yes, uh, but that's all about being a good neighbor. You wouldn't want your neighbor mad at you. I mean, I've worked with my neighbor very, very much with these kind of problems, not necessarily uh, arc fault certain de detection. But because of being a good neighbor, she was my neighbor actually helped me put up amateur radio antennas. If you'd like more information about Arc detecting circuit breakers, there's a couple of articles in QST that cover that. And uh, one's in February 2014, page 83. And then a little bit of a Q&A follow-up in September 2017, page 32, QST. And what should a ham do? Somebody who's listening to us right now, and whenever they transmit, they're popping off their own circuit breaker or that of a neighbor. So in other words, they have one of these potentially faulty or sensitive, if you will, circuit breakers, uh, what should they do? Well, first off, I would determine what amateur bands cause the arc fault detection to trip. It may only be on one particular amateur band. So temporarily, you may be off one amateur band to be a good neighbor for a little while, but once the circuit breaker is changed out, that problem should go away. But first, gather some data. 
what uh, what amateur bands trip off the circuit breaker, how much power uh, is needed to trip off the breaker, uh, that kind of stuff. So when you actually contact the manufacturer, you're going to have that information for them and also describe that uh, you're a member of the ARRL and uh, that you've uh, read about the article in QST and that uh, Eaton will help out with the situation. Excellent. Thank you very much. Very useful, Bob. You're very welcome. Tune in again for the next episode of Eclectic Tech, produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. If you have comments, email eclectic at arrl.org. This episode is copyright ARRL and all rights are reserved. I'm Sabrina Jackson, KC1JMW. See you next time.